This week on the Backtable podcast. I will see the CT scan. And the CT scan, I have a couple of questions to, to, be, to be answered. First, how long is the occlusion? Second questions, if any, it's SVC only, straight, long occlusion, short. Uh, it's The third question is any careful angle I see in the occlusions. Oh, and the fourth question is uh, also what's the nature of the occlusion? It is calcified or fry process. How much of the native uh, vein or space in the mediastinum is left that I can negotiate and see move my needle with less risk to recanalize? So these questions determine the axis for me. But most of the patients, I will do uh, multiple scrubs or multiple accesses. And I think you can do sharp and in, in any axis you want. You can come from the neck, you can come from the arm, and you can come from the femoral. Depend on what is available, what's the tools that you have, and what is, what, what's your comfort zone with these, these materials and how, any, how you can approach it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. Now, a brief message from our sponsor. RadPad was developed by physicians for physicians, clinically proven radiation protection during cine and digital subtraction and geography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RadPad radiation protection shields for all your fluoro-guided interventions. See radpad.com for more information and contact info at radpad.com for a free radiation evaluation and a no-brainer radiation protection cap. And don't forget to tell them that you heard about it on the Backtable podcast. Now, back to the episode. Today, we have a very special guest coming back on the show from way back when, early, 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 we're talking early days, episode eight where we had Abdulaziz Al-Harbi coming on from Saudi Arabia. We did episode eight about IR in Saudi Arabia, uh, where he kind of gave us an idea of what his practice was like. That was 2017, I think. Yeah. yeah. That was a while ago. <laughs> We're getting gold, yeah. Yeah, that was like five years ago. It's crazy. And I, dude, I, I went back and uh, tried to listen to it, but the audio is so bad. But uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's uh, thank you for the invitation. It's very very uh, amazing what you guys doing with back table, and it's my honor, pleasure to be with you guys today. Yeah, no problem, man. I reached out to you recently because I wanted to see. You know, it had been a while since we touched base, and I wanted to have you back on because I've seen you post. We've all seen you post some pretty crazy cases recently, uh, specific to SVC syndrome and you know central venous occlusions in the chest and upper extremities and so uh we've we've been wanting to cover actually sharp recanalizations for a while now and just hadn't had it, anybody kind of uh pop up but you know you show these amazing cases and i was like oh this is perfect you know and, and so i reached out to you to see if you wanted to come on and and what for the audience what we'll do is we will link to those twitter posts in the show notes so that you uh can see them and, uh, and and feel free to comment. I know you got uh, several comments and some kudos for those cases because we all know that these patients are really suffering, especially the, the dialysis yeah. ones, the, the cancer ones. And it's pretty amazing when you can open up those vessels for them. But first, what's your practice look like nowadays? What kind of cases are you doing? 
So uh, I work in, in a very big uh, center, Tertiary Hospital in Saudi Arabia, and it's uh, basically called King Abdullah's Medical City and King Abdullah uh, Special Children's Hospital. It's a Ministry of National Guard, and it's basically a capacity of almost 2,000 beds. So we have uh, trauma centers, transplant centers, oncology centers, pediatric centers, and women also center, women health center. Uh, so what we do in uh, vascular interventional radiology almost like 70 to 80,000 procedures per year. Uh, so we see a lot of patients and including uh, also dialysis patients. So basically what we see uh, in dialysis patients, we uh, treat a lot of uh, fistulas and also we provide the vascular access which is all done by us. And in those cases, we follow up these patients. Most of the SVC occlusion uh, syndrome or SVC uh, chronic occlusion come from dialysis. However, as also because of we are transplant uh, center, we have also uh, a couple of recolorization with dual uh, barrier to transplant because the surgeon prefer to have uh, an open vein, uh, veins in the, in the chest to place their cell line and to avoid exhausting a fibular axis during transplant and after transplant. And also we have a couple of cases with the patients as a symptomatic patient with the SVC occlusions either due to chronic line of previous lines and through So this basically the indications or type of patients that we see. Okay. So you mentioned there's mostly dialysis patients coming to you uh, how, or are you seeing a fair amount of cancer patients as well? We see also a couple of cancer patients, but most of them are come as a CC syndrome, as acute phase, uh, rather than chronic obstruction. And uh, we we see a good number of them uh, and usually treat them too. Yeah. And what about, uh, like, are you seeing any sort of granulomas disease, sarcoidosis, or some, you know, maybe even radiation with scarring, anything like that? I don't think we see a lot of sarcoidosis in the Middle East. However, a couple of cases I think we saw related to radiation, so it's not a great volume in these cases. Right. So it sounds like the vast majority are, are end-stage renal disease patients who have just limited access, have had dialysis catheters, and that's that's basically been the main culprit for SVC occlusion. Yeah. Okay. That's agree. Yes. There and the transplants too. So uh, pre-transplants. They usually need uh, vein opens in the chest, so we do a couple of them, yeah. Is it innominate or brachiocephalic in Saudi Arabia? Uh, it's actually <laughs> both, uh, but mo mo I, I call it brachiocephalic, yeah. For me, it's brachiocephalic vein. Yeah, that was Barat's question, is uh, which term are you guys using? So going forward in this podcast, let's use brachiocephalic. That's my preference. So for patients who have, let's say, you know, SVC occlusion, brachiocephalic occlusion, how are you how are you deciding who's a candidate for recanalization? Yeah, so basically when we being consulted by other teams regarding patients and some of them coming from other hospitals, uh, we assess the patient uh, what his dialysis access is and is the patient symptomatic or not? Is dialysis access is working or not? Is the patient for transplant and the transplant is is in hold because of the SVC occlusion? And after that, we clinically assess the patients in our clinic to see if he's if any any signs of like symptoms, what's going on with the fistula. Sometimes we uh, request imaging, and those cases usually filters to the next stage, which is uh, planning and uh, further investigation. 
And when we decide to do to do that, you usually request a CT scan, which is, I think, is very, very important in these cases to decide if this is doable or not. So CT scan, which is with contrast, it's usually uh, almost mandatory for me to make sure what's going on there. And from there, we can decide if this is uh, doable or not. Would you say most of your discussions are with nephrology on, you know, trying to get this done or vasosurgery or card- cardiology? Like when you're getting these patients, who is who are you usually discussing that with? Yeah, so it depends which service is sending the patients, but yeah. we have like a multidisciplinary team. So we we need we need to be involved, all of us. So sometimes surgeons involved as well as the nephrologist. Yeah. And sometimes it's directly coming from nephrologist, especially if a dialysis uh, issue. And if the patient's coming for uh, a transplant, uh, we usually discuss this with the surgeon as well as the uh, transplant nephrologist or transplant sorry transplant uh, nephrologist. Yes, to see what's going on because you need to take these patients uh, like uh, uh, case by case because there is no uh, typical like uh, approach for all of the patients. So depending on what the patient need and what is the next step for the patients, we uh, further discuss uh, the options and try to go toward the, the best option for these patients. And uh, some other hospital I've worked in, uh, they have usually something called uh, uh, vascular access board, which uh, include vascular surgeons, uh, also nephrologists, and also interfacial audiologists, which usually discuss these cases. And so when you say transplant, are you talking about Patients that are having kidney transplant? Yeah. Okay. So you talk about workup, you know, obviously, you know, imaging is important. Labs. uh, Is there anything in particular that you're worried about when it comes to labs for screening these patients? Yeah, so you need to take the patient as a whole. So we we usually uh, investigate everything. What's the core morbidity the patient to have? Uh, what type of surgery he have? And also, what's what's the situation with the heart? What's the situation of uh, dialysis axis? Since when he has dialysis? Since when he has the small functional symptoms? All of that we included uh, into the, uh, the 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 assessment, the initial assessment. Yeah. Then usually we request all the related labs, which is uh, echo of the heart and also uh, typical uh, blood work, coagulations, uh, electrolytes, all of that should be included at the first assessment as uh, every patient. And we usually filter these patients and depend on what we uh, find out in these assessment if the patient is, is suitable for Schauberger's or recanalization because most of these cases is done under general anesthesia and you need to make sure the patient's fit for these type of procedures. Yeah, so like that, I guess that was one of my questions is if you're going to, if you're planning on doing a sharp recanalization and there's a, you know, it's for an SVC, are you, do you have parameters you're going by in terms of like making sure they're off blood thinners or, you know, is that something that you're just like, well, you know, I'm going to have to put them on blood thinners later anyway. I imagine if you're worried about cardiac tamponade, then blood thinners would be a bad thing, right? Yeah. So it depends on the finding on the CT scan or how long is the occlusion. Usually, uh, most of the cases, uh, I prefer to stop anticoagulation before unless it's necessary that the patient be on anticoagulation. Yeah. And uh, also, at, uh, at the end, you need to make sure also that the patients have anything else re- related to the that could cause possible complications with these anticoagulation. But because most of the uh, sharp recanalization, you 
actually going through either fibrosis or extra vascular. So you don't need to take the risk to have a bleed in the table. Yeah. Uh, I can deal with what I do after because I really, it depends what it's happened in the procedure. You, you, you can decide if you put the patient anticoagulation or not. But most of the patients, uh, I will stop anticoagulation before. Okay. And uh, what kind of risks are you talking to the patients about ahead of time when you're getting your consent? What kind of things are you telling them that could happen? So uh, in, in the planning section, when I, when I, when I see an, uh, the imaging and I see everything about the patients and assist the patients before I see him, I usually put a plan and put the possible uh, complication depending on what I saw on the uh, CT scan. Because let's be honest, if you are doing a, like a focal or short occlusion, it's less risky in my opinion rather than you're doing a, a long occlusion. And if you are doing uh, a, like uh, an occlusion that have an angle or a curve, then you have more risk. If you're doing lower SVC, which is uh, at the heart level, you are more risk of, of tympanad, as you said before. And you need to sh- make sure also of the comorbidity and the uh, situation of the heart of the patient because you also will be uh, afraid of pulmonary uh, edema after you recognize the SVC. Oh, okay. So all of that depend in every patient. Uh, you take him as 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 uh, as a special case, and you can discuss the related uh, including also the general uh, complications of the axes, like ruptures of, uh, and one of the most important, which I always tell the uh, trainee that work with me, you need also to explain to the patient that you can, you can fail. You yeah. cannot do anything. Right. You, can, you can try, you can try, but you need to include in the informed consent that we will try, but sometimes we fail. So this is, should be uh, an, also uh, informative to the patient. Yeah. Okay. Great. So let's talk about approach. Okay. So you've you've done the imaging, you've worked them up, you've talked to them, and you have an idea of okay, I gotta figure out what, how many places I want to access, where I'm going to access. Uh, how do you determine access? I mean, I know there's the imaging, but um, can you? This is what a question that Baratza had. Can you do a sharp recanalization from pretty much any access, or just from certain sites, from certain directions? Okay, it's uh, it's it's a very important question, and it's uh, dependent on what you see in the imaging. So let me rephrase. Uh, you remember what I told you that I have five points that uh, in in any cases, and especially sharp recognition. Uh, yeah. So first point is why I'm doing it, uh, and when I do it, which mostly elective, uh, analysis is SVC acute uh, syndrome, and the how. It's basically uh, the third question is the how. And mostly, the most majority of this section is planning. So CT scan uh, and previous uh, venograms, if the patient have, it will give me uh, a, a hint to choose the axis. I usually scrub patients in multiple areas. So I use usually scrub the neck, both arm if I'm, do, um, I'm planning to do bilaterals and one of the femorals. It's very important to have multiple accesses before scrubbed already. Second thing, I will see the CT scan. And the CT scan, I have a couple of questions to, to be to be answered. First, how long is the occlusion? Second questions, if any, it's SVC only, straight, long occlusion, short. Uh, it's The third question is any careful angle I see in the occlusions. Oh, and the fourth question is uh, also what's the nature of the occlusion? It is calcified or fry process. How much of the native uh, vein or space in the mediastinum is left? that I can negotiate and see, move my needle with less risk 
to recognize. So these questions determine the access for me, but most of the patients, I will do uh, multiple scrubs or multiple accesses. And I think you can do sharp and in, in, in any access you want. You can come from the neck, you can come from the arm, and you can come from the femoral, depending on what is available, what's the tools that you have, and what is, what, what's your comfort zone with these, these materials and how, any, how you can approach it. Do you ever prep the chest as well in case there is a tamponade and you have to perform a... Mostly, it depends. If it's if it's lower SVC, yes, I yeah. usually scrub the chest. Yes, I scrub the chest and for any any uh, uh, possible complication, either tamponade or pneumothorax. Yeah. yeah so Have you ever had that happen? No. Knock on wood? Thankful, thankfully, <laughs> no, not yet. Not yeah, yet. good, good. All right. Well, uh, thank you for that. That that's I I love when people have an algorithm for everything. You know, especially workup. So it sounds like you you know you have an algorithm for determining access, and then the day of the procedure, what are the essentials that you have available uh, in terms of tools, equipment? Are you using cone beam CT? Can you tell us kind of what's on your back table when you're when you're prepping the patient out? Yeah. So most of the cases, uh, I prepare. Uh prepare the materials myself before and see what I have before I decide to do the procedure. So the things that I need to know, how, which the needles that I have, which type of needles that I have that I can do, uh, because you know you have short needles, long needles, what type of wires, catheters, and also what type of stents. You need to have a stent, you need to have uh, multiple options uh, that uh, in case of, of, of rupture or in case of, of, of uh, lung segment, you need to see the, the stents that you have. And also, Combium CT, I think it's, a, it's a, a very nice tool to use. I don't use it that much, but it's very nice to, uh, uh, tools that you, to, to, to do it in the first couple of cases because you can you can you can you can uh, see your track and you can see your uh, uh, progressing especially with the needles and uh, uh, also it's very important which I sorry I didn't mention before it's you need to know your support group so uh, you need to have multiple operators or someone to to help you in cases of uh, in these cases right. and you also to make sure that uh, other teams or, or other colleagues is uh, involved, that you are doing a sharp recognition, especially in difficult cases like cardiac surgeons, vascular surgeons, and also you need to have most of these cases, you need to have a ICU bed uh, in, in advance, like preserved for this patient in case of any complication. I don't think there is any special thing that I do pre-procedure except to see what is available. So. Yeah. Uh, Every every center is different. We have, uh, thankfully, we have a lot of materials that in, in, in back, our back table that we can use. But I don't think it's available in every center. So you need to see and assess the scene shields things, which I mentioned before, that will conclude uh, your success or this procedure. Yeah, I was just curious if there's any certain wires like the glide advantage wire I really like. So specifically, uh, and and when I when I do any any recanalization, we usually start with the regular like angle catheter and trauma wire, like glide wire. Yeah. And 
we try uh, an, an dependency CT scan or prefer which which access I, w- I want to use, and then I will use it. And I usually time myself because you know uh, this is a GA procedure. Right. There's a radiation to me and the patient, so it's very important to time the procedure. So I will try a couple of minutes. If I fail the first step, which is a uh, angle catheter and trauma wire, I will shift to OIT wires. And my preferred wires actually depend on the if it's straight occlusions or if it's uh, angle or curved occlusion. Uh, I prefer uh, a command OET wire. I like this wire and advantage OET. This is yeah. two wires that that I usually use in these recurrences. Okay, yeah, and and you you mentioned something earlier that I want to touch on. So you'll actually have because you have multiple accesses and you can't both, you know, push the needle and snare. I imagine you probably have a colleague, another IR. Um, working the femoral access while you're in the upper extremity or in the IJ, is that correct? Some of the cases, yeah. Uh, <laughs> some of the cases we have, several cases we have fellows. Okay. Uh, we have a great fellows here, so uh, and we have a big program, so we, we usually involve them in these cases. So sometimes they will come from the femoral, sometimes they will help for, with the sharp uh, itself. Okay. But having multiple operators, I think, is very important to shorten the procedure and also to to think to think uh, out of the box and give an opinion and try to discuss. When you discuss things during the procedure into the room, especially if you are stuck, you usually the discussion between two colleagues will, will promote solutions in, in the spot. Okay. All right. So let's walk through how basically, you know, a sharp recanalization works. I mean, you know, walk me through your typical kind of escalation algorithm and maybe even just use one of those cases you posted as an example. And then that way, the audience, if they want to look at your images, they can kind of imagine, um, you know, as you walk through it. Does that make sense? Makes sense. So what I do first, uh, dependent CT scan, let's suppose I saw the CT scan and uh, I'm seeing that there is track or trace or track of contrast coming from the from the left brachycephalic or subclavian or from the left arm. So I will try to access the left arm veins first, go with the sheath, and I usually go with just six, seven free sheath uh, immediately. Then I just do a venogram and try to do a recognition, attempt recognition with this thing like angle catheter and trauma wire. If I fail, I'll go with O18 wire. And if I fail and I'm timing it myself, then I will, I will try to go from other axis before I go to sharp. So I need to exhaust all 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 axes before, or I try all axes that I planned from the beginning. So sometimes I just go from the femoral and try to 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 attempt recolonization from there. And if I fail again, then it's very important to. Depend on what I said before, the CT scan is very important. Uh, I cannot any emphasize more. CT scan will will tell me which axis is better in sharp recanalization. Yeah. So let's suppose. Let me give you an example. One of the cases that I posted this was a uh, left uh, upper SVC and a preexpect junction occlusion. And uh, when I did the CT scan, I saw a small vein in in, in, the, in the position or expected part of the IVC, uh, sorry, uh, in jagger, internal jagger on the right side. And I saw that the, the arm veins actually uh, patent. So I decided from the beginning to I'm scrubbing the right, scrubbing the right arm and the neck and the femoral. And I tried from the neck first because most of the cases, especially when dialysis patients have a previous central line of permacat yeah. going from the straight axis from the from the jugular uh, it makes sense and how can i explain it it's, it's like a straight track of fibrosis yeah so actually it will work 
not against you, work with you, uh, and then using sharp recognition. If I fail all of the manipulation of the wire, then I will I will decide to go depend on the occlusion location and the and the length. So let's take the the same example I said. The right side is upper SVC and, and junction in the right side. So either I go from the arm and try to recanalize the SVC. Uh, the, the junction in between the SEC and the brick spellic, or I can go from the neck. My preferred choice all the time, most of the time, I like the neck. Uh-huh. Because the neck will give you a straight angle, or straight track into the occlusion. Just one hint and one tips, most of the, uh, the vein, especially going from the neck into the chest, have a posterior curve. Right. So it's very important to have a little bit curve in your needle, depend on what you saw in the CT scan. So uh, I usually use in short segment, uh, if I'm coming from the neck, I usually use a cheaper needle, 20 gauge, 20 centimeters or 50 centimeters. And I will use a short sheath, uh, five or 11 centimeter, depending on how long uh, the distance between the occlusion and the my axis in the neck. And I will shave it or, or try to, to, to curve the needle to, to correspond to the finding of the CT scan. Then, when I decide to go for it, I usually do it in very slowly, and I do it in multiple projections. So we have the, uh, the advantage to use uh, the floral in multiple angles, so I'll do it in multiple AB, obliques, and laterals, and just advance a little bit and try to, to put in my mind the 3D image that I saw on the CT scan, and just to advise. And it's good to have a target. And if you have a short occlusion, you can go from the femoral axis or from, from the arm axis and just put for you a target, uh, like snare, balloon, or whatever you have and you're comfortable with. That will make it easy for you to track your needle into uh, to the target and just try to hit it. This is in a very simple short occlusion. In the same case, if you want to do, uh, I did a s- similar case, or we did a similar case, with the occlusion actually going to the right side. So we have the advantage to come from the arm rather than coming from the neck. Let's suppose that there is no veins at the neck at all. Mm-hmm. And you want to uh, just connect the right side because as we said before, patient, every patient special. Let's say the patient have a, a fistula in the right arm and uh, now he has occlusion, fistula is malfunctioning. You don't need to recognize the jugular, you need to. You don't you need to recognize the other side. Yeah. You just want to recognize the right side into the SVC. So in these uh, cases, I will go from the arm and if the, the occlusion is short and straight, you said it before, you just, you can go with the back of the wire if you want and yeah. just Put a balloon from below and just puncture the 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 the, the balloon, and it depends in the finding of CT two because if it the fi- it's only short segment of five process and there is no calcification, usually the back of the wire will go easily. Sure. So you can advance it slowly and just into the into, into your target. Uh, other options, if if the sharp of the back of the wire do, doesn't penetrate into the into the balloon, or you can you just push it and it's going away, uh, then another options you can use you can use a tips needle. Yeah, but real quick with the back of the wire technique, are you then also using something to direct it like a Compi catheter to direct the back of the wire towards the balloon? You know what I mean. Like if you got your company catheter all the way up to the occlusion and then you're able to kind of angle it towards the balloon under fluoro, that's what I imagine you doing. And then, and then the, like you said, it's a short segment, so you're able to kind of direct it right towards the balloon like that. 
Yeah, exactly. So if you have a short and straight, you can use an angle catheter. Uh, some of the angle catheter, some of the brand or some of the companies is very soft tip. Yeah. So when you, you when you push the back of the wire, you usually straight up. Uh, yeah. uh, however, if you if you, if you wanna if you wanna use an MBK MBA catheter, or some of some of the company have very rigid MBA catheter, so yeah. it's, the direction of the curve is is very nice. So I agree. I agree. Most of the cases, you need to to have the knee, uh, the back of the wire come just immediately at the occlusion so uh, using of uh, an angle catheter is, it makes sense to direct your action, uh, sharp recognition would you be able to get a long sheet up there to give you that extra stability to not push to not push back the catheter you know what i mean really it's very important point i really thank you for the formation it's so it's, uh, access is very important the way you access the vein where is you want to access the vein you don't you don't need you need a straight access into the vein you don't need the multiple uh, curves that w- w- will will affect your support using of long sheath is also very important yeah because you want your sheath is as as much as near the occlusion and your catheter too then you can read you can direct it very easily and you don't have a back like back pressures to push your uh, catheter away. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Because like, like you're saying, going back to the IJ, you know, IJ, you could have a short sheath, right? Um, because it's not very long distance to get down to the SVC. But if you're going from, if, if it's a fistula case and you're going from the arm, I'd imagine you'd have to get a longer sheath uh, all the way up to right, right on top of that occlusion and then I guess I, you know, I, I guess you would still use a, something like a Cumpy or uh, an angled catheter with some stiffness to it, so that once you get the wire across, puncture the balloon, then you're able to push your your catheter across, and then you follow it. You just try and follow it with the sheath right then and there. Yeah. So yeah, uh, when you just puncture, sometimes sometimes you would try to push the catheter first. Yeah. The catheter then go. Don't, doesn't go so you, you just snare it you just snare use it, yeah. The, the yeah you just snare it and use uh, uh the the pressure of pulling from one side and just uh, trying to advance slowly and usually will, your catheter will track if the catheter doesn't doesn't track then you have the options for using a, a low profile balloon or 18 balloon uh, and just just go through this occlusion just across and have uh, uh the, the the balloon a little bit across the occlusions to try to lay with the small balloons to to have uh, a little bit space then you can push your catheter and just shift your system to a bigger system or 35 wire then you can do the the further ballooning go and 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 then if you decide stenting yeah uh, this is uh, this is all example of this is all related to uh, the, the the example that we gave is short occlusion it's upper svc right which which makes sense to do it uh, if you if you fail to do it with the back of the wire then you can do it with others depend what you have you can do it with the tips needle transept needle uh, sometimes even chiba needle if you have long and you you are accessing the arm a little bit above uh, like near the occlusion and, yeah. and in a very thin patient you can also use it uh, but if you have long occlusion uh, and, and 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 you have like SVC complete occlusion uh, from from above to the to immediately to the heart these cases usually uh, you you need you need multiple access. You need to be careful when you do a sharp recognition in these cases because you don't want to cause a complication or cause tamponade. This is uh, they will make the approach a little bit different uh, regarding which which uh, which uh, access you want to use. Back to the to the to first question. So if you have a long SVC occlusion, uh, the best to go from the femoral. 
Yeah. Uh, just just to have a straight line and support with long sheath and catheter, and just to to to, to uh, drill a little bit into the fibre process. However, in some cases, in one of the cases that I posted before, we did it in our center. We usually uh, went from the neck. Uh, because of the finding the CT scan, which is was a calcified occlusion, and we thought that that uh, with the curve in the upper SVC, because we wanted to do a central line and permacat, would be very difficult to reach up uh, to to jugular from 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 down. So yeah. you just try to drill a little bit from down and and put a target for you, or go from above and and just then continue from above and just uh, try to track your needle into the into uh, into the into the SVC or the 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 fibrosis into the heart, and and I think when you go from the neck it's actually safer than going from the femoral i don't know what people uh, any have an opinion about it but uh, i usually i like to go from the neck because when you do an x-ray an oblique x-ray you can see you can see almost like a chest x-ray lateral chest x-ray so you can see the structures or at least expected uh, locations uh -huh. of, of, of of the adjacent structure so you know when you off you, you can retract or stop and right. try to do a combium ct or something but most of the cases you can go up to do sharp from the neck up to into the into the even into the heart so it sounds like it's maybe fair to say you prefer going in from the neck, which actually makes sense for short occlusions. But if uh, when it's a long occlusion, then a femoral approach is probably just more straight. It, it's it provides more of a straight line, and then, and that's where you you tend to go from a femoral approach. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. Especially when you have, especially if you have a lower SVC, even if you have like small millimeters of patent lower SVC, it's better to go from below. I think it's much safer, much easier to drill from down. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense where you can imagine your structures going from above on the, especially, you know, on the lateral and, and obliques. Whereas when you're going from below, you're in the right atrium, right? So you might be kind of floundering a bit when you're trying to figure out where you're at because there's just more space there right yeah exactly so yeah and and then you don't have a target if, yeah. if it's a long occlusion you cannot see your target yeah. you cannot see your target in the neck even if you have an access the neck is far away even with the yeah. venogram you can you can still you can still you are you will not feel comfortable to advance it with 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 the movement of the heart a long long uh sheath uh the support will be a little bit difficult but when you when you go uh, into this patent lower SVC and you just have a support long big sheath or an intermediate sheath and now you have almost a straight line, you may you may uh, try, uh, get success in, in these long uh, occlusions, but it's it's better to go uh, in my opinion from the neck and just just go down. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you can do a venogram from above. You can't really do one from below because it just goes into the heart, right? It's just kind of, I mean. Yeah. All right, well, so thank you for, for explaining that. I think, uh, so you, you did kind of give us your your needle of choice. And is there a certain, is there a certain snare that you like to use uh, for these when you're snaring the needle or the back of the wire coming across? I don't have actually a preferred snare, whatever available, but a single loop is very important. I think it's much easier. Yeah. It's much easier, and depending on the space that you have into the vein, either by CT scan or venogram, you can you can choose the the size. Uh, however, if, 
some tiny spaces is very difficult to open the snare but I, I prefer a single loop because as a target it's very easy to see it in multiple directions rather than and if you and if you hit one of the if you hit the center or uh, and you have a, like a big space uh, you can see or a big target that you can see uh, so 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 you have like multiple multiple choices to go a little bit up a little bit down and just hit it rather than using uh, other snares which which sometimes make it difficult to open it yeah and Sabine wanted me to ask you, have you ever used anything crazy as a target, like an Amplatzer plug? I, th- I guess he's heard of people doing that before, like instead of a balloon. Any th- have you ever heard of that or, or done that before? I guess because you, you can retract it back in maybe. I don't think I used it before. Uh, I saw people, I don't know, I, I saw a case, but I don't know who did it. Uh, people used uh, some retrieval, like some some small stents or or, or or plug but but i don't i don't think you know, i i need it before or tried it <laughs> yeah that sounds expensive it's, it's very good it's very good to 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 have it in my mind but uh i think i think snare and balloon is is a, a little bit uh yeah cross effective right and, and right but 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 it's good to have another option so Sabine always got come with very nice <laughs> options. So, yeah. so maybe next case, maybe next case I'll try it. He also asked, wanted me to ask you about, have you ever used the, an RF power wire? No, I, I remember I did it, but not, not, not in Venus. And I don't think it's approved in our country yet. I don't know why, but uh, I never used it before. Yeah. I think it would be a great option, especially in straight, very straight occlusions. I think it's a very good option. Uh, I'm not sure about if uh, if a curve or angled a little bit occlusion it would be safe to use right. it. Uh, but but I don't have experience honestly. Maybe uh, maybe so you you guys in the states uh, use it like uh, and and have more experience in it than than us. Yeah, I mean I I haven't I've I've never seen anybody use it but uh again it sounds like sabine's practice they get all these like uh fun tools and it seems like they have a little bit of everything (laughs) (laughs) so now that we you know let's walk through this uh hypothetical case you you have access you've gotten across you you've snared to the other side and you've pulled the wire across and you're going to balloon and then probably stent what is your stent of choice in the SVC and or brachiocephalics? And uh, Ali Bahedi wanted me to ask any tips for stent sizing, especially through an occluded vessel. Okay. So depending on the etiology itself and the occlusion itself, if it's short or, or, or long, let's, let's suppose the same case, it's at the curve between the SVC and brachiocephalic. Uh, I, I really, if, in, if it's short occlusion and after uh, I do angioplasty, and I do the venogram and see how, how is the flow. I usually prefer to do uh, self-expandable stents in these curve areas. I don't like to do but I'm not to cover stents. I just use a bare stents. Regarding the sizing, uh, it depends on and in the patient's uh, like in the patient's uh, body nature and also in the arm veins. I prefer to go like large size as much as I can, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the in, in the brachiospheric patient, especially in the patient if they have fistula. Uh, I usually go with 12 stents, 12, 12 millimeter stents. And this VC is a little bit different if it's long segment or short. If it's long segment, I prefer to do a cover stents uh, because you don't know exactly where uh, your needle uh, went through. So you don't want to take the chance and also to to prevent stagnation of the flow. So I just go with a balloon mounted stent. 
and the sizes are I'll go, I'll go uh, as much as I can uh, like between 40 to 60 millimeter uh, into the SVC because um, you don't you don't want to use a, if you use a big stance and then the the, the flow was great uh, that's be it but if you use a small stent and the flow occluded then you will have another problem now yeah. because you, you cannot you cannot do uh, anything about it just if you want to use another stent in the future into it it will be a little bit challenged too so uh cover stent uh i don't know if you guys want the brand that i use but i, I if, you, if, if it's okay I, I can say it i think i prefer vbx stent mm-hmm. uh, believe it or not i like vbx stents and then the svc uh, and, and and they have the the eight large, which you, you can you can uh, upsize it with the balloon up to to I think forty to sixty millimeter, and 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 the and the short segment in the in the curve or at the junction to the right side, the left side. I just use a self expandable stents. Uh, any any big venous stents is 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 adequate. Do you do you ever get worried about like stenting into no man's land? And you know, and it maybe it just you know it's too short, and then you you inject, and there's you're you're nowhere. Have you ever had that happen or seen that happen? You know, for a sharp ray can case. Thankfully, it didn't happen to me. I saw it a couple of cases. Uh, the people stent. I think I think it's it's dependent in in your your yeah in your angioplasty and venograph. Yeah, yeah. When you do an angioplasty and you open the occlusion and do a venograph, you need to make sure where exactly the extravascular space uh, that you went through yeah. and how long is it and where is the native vein and I think sizing of the stents and, and the length of stents is very important before you deploy and honestly it, it did happen to me uh, but uh, I saw a couple of cases I think I saw it in the, and then uh, I searched something and I saw a couple of cases but I don't, I don't know if, if, if I know anyone have it happened to him yeah, but you know, those are some good tips to avoid it, right? Is basically you're doing a venogram and you're ballooning and you're doing a venogram before you place that stent to just know your where you're where you are, what your you know, it's like placing a tip, it's like where you want it to begin and end, basically. Let's give you an example. If you do the lower SVC, let's suppose you're doing the lower SVC into the heart and you you, you just recognize it. You are afraid that you wanna you don't wanna do a venograph. You don't want to do a venogram. You just want to stent it. Uh, you just balloon it a little bit, and you don't want to be do a venogram because uh, you don't know what's yeah. exactly happened. So what I do in these cases, and I'm not sure, I just go with another catheter. Let's suppose I have an excess in the femoral, so I will go uh, another catheter beside the wire and just go into the heart and just to as much as proximal to the to the occlusion and just uh, try to inject and see my mark my landing zone. Uh, if I mark my distal landing zone, then then the proximal I have the the axis in the arm or the neck, I can do a venogram from there. Like ah, or I can yeah. use also another catheter and just just try to to size and uh, the stent and to to have the proper length. Uh, some of the stents, especially when you want to, some of the stents is very difficult to push, especially the cover stents. You need the sheath crossing the occlusion first and make sure that you your landing zone is perfect. So some of the stents uh, doesn't go easily. And even with some dilatation or, or minimum dilatation of small balloon, in these cases, you can use the other axis to just pull your sheath or snare your sheath 
or push your stent from the other side just to to make sure that you're in the, in the middle of the of the occlusion and most of the below mountain stent which is very safe you just uh, inflate it and it, you can you can see slowly go like slow with the pressure and just live uh, x-ray and see uh, how it reacted and usually it will prevent uh, the stent to, to yeah. move or go anywhere else yeah it kind of sounds analogous to uh, tips when I think about it, you're just making sure you're not stenting into the liver parenchyma and your sense going all the way into the portal. <laughs> vein, you know what I mean, so yeah, they, you know, like it's like injecting your portal venogram and your hepatic venogram at the same time. So you, you have those, you can mark those spots of where you want your stent to begin and end. Uh, so I thought, uh, I like that. That makes total sense. So what about in malignant disease? You know, like let's say it's not one of these dialysis patients type occlusions. It's it's a mass. Are you changing up the way you your your stent choice or anything like that for those? But I think I prefer the malignant. I usually prefer cover stents. Cover. I think I prefer cover stents. Yes, uh, I think to to to. St- I don't know the. I, th- I saw a lot of studies usually published uh, or retrospective studies published about malignant uh, SVC. They prefer uh, cover stents, potentially a little bit higher, and 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 and, and also for precise uh, deployment because some of the of the lesions, especially the long lesion, it's very tricky to 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 uh, to open uh, self-expandable stents. Yeah. And, and you 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 may have migration, but so most of the cases of malignant are huge cover stents. Yes. So and then you just if the mass pushes on the stent, you just bring them back and balloon with like just serial dilatation just to get it to open back up again. Yeah, exactly. So when you follow up the patients, so the patients start to have other symptoms. You just start with the, either imaging and do venogram, yeah. uh, and 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 just uh, do angioplasty to, to just to give him time Palliative. with symptom free. Yeah. Yeah. Do you always try to do double barrel and maintain upper upper both? upper extremity accesses or are there times when it's appropriate to like jail off a side? This is a very nice question. Uh, it's it's depend on the patient. So that's, it's very important to know what's the next for the patient. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, yani it, you don't need just to recognize the chest vein. You need to know what's the next for the patient. So, so let's suppose the patient have a fistula. You have bilateral occlusion, but you have a right fistula and he came with malfunction fistula and he's asymptomatic. Regarding SSC occlusion, uh, I'm not. I'm not planning to do bilateral. I'm just going to do like unilateral. Let's suppose the patients have no symptoms, have SSC occlusion, and need an access. I may do only jugular. Just from the jugular, try to have uh, establish access into permaca. But if this patient symptomatic or the patient going for transplant, I usually I usually try to recognize both of the side, both both sides. Just bilaterals, okay. To give them multiple choices and depend also on More the options. inflow. Yeah, yeah, and and, and to, to to bend in the flow. If, if for example the patients have a good flow uh, or inflow for bilateral, you know that SVC syndrome sometimes unilateral recognition is enough. But let's suppose the patients also dialysis patients, so you just want to open both veins to give them multiple choices True. for access because you don't want to go and do femoral. So in our practice, I don't remember the last time I placed femoral catheter. Honestly, I don't like it. Uh, I usually try to exhaust as much uh, options and, and to having an access in the, in the upper uh, part of the body. And uh, so for the planning and the next option for this patient, let's suppose the patient have SVC occlusion and bilateral chest vein occlusions, and they just want to access and also they want to create vista. Let's suppose the patient's young. So these these scenarios uh, I prefer to do bilateral just just do bilateral uh, recolonization 
to, to give them a chance for a fistula creation and also to give them a chance to have an access line for dialysis from the other side. Yeah, the, the, the other point that you brought up that is really a good point, I think, is, is the, in, the added inflow that you get to help keep that stent open too, you know, or just to help keep the SVC open from the other side. So yeah, the, and yeah, femoral access is just, uh, you feel so bad for those patients whether it be that the catheters themselves seem to clot more often and the to to have to do a declot from a femoral access is really painful too. Yeah, and also to, it can obscure a transplant for these patients too. Yeah. So if you have a chronic DVT and, and oh, now yeah. we have occlusion, yeah. So not many surgeons, some of them do, but not many surgeons, transplant surgeons will do a transplant in these patients. Uh, that makes sense. All right. Well, we are about wrapping up here. Just a few more questions. So, uh, just real quick on bailout. What, you know, what happens? We we touched on it in the beginning. Is you know it's something that you consent for. Is what happens when it doesn't go as planned? How much time are you giving yourself for these cases? And like, when do you give up, if ever? Okay. So it's usually when I book the case, uh, I usually think that uh, the tips and tricks that I can tell people start as early as possible. So make it the first case. Yeah. Uh, you you want to be fresh. Uh, if you have partners or or, or colleagues, it's very it's very important to have support, and also to time yourself. So these cases usually give two to three hours. In very complicated cases, sometimes maximum four hours. Uh, and and if I fail, let's suppose I I'm trying to do the case, or one of my colleagues trying to do the case, and we fail to do it. Usually we ask we ask one of our other colleagues to try. It's, it's it's not shameful. It's very actually, it's very useful. And at the end, we are we are doing it for the patient care. So sometimes I would just go call my one of my friends and say, just can you, can you try and just try to to do recolonization. And you would be surprised that sometimes you are trying to do sharp recolonization. What if your colleague come with a wire and just and just go through the occlusions and it it's track. So it's very important to to uh, time yourself to to ask for help. And it's very important to stop. It's knowing when you when you stop is very important in these cases. Yeah. You don't want to go extreme. Uh, sometimes you know that you are tired at the end of the procedures, and then your your mind just just blocked, and you just go extreme and do to some dangerous thing. You just relax, and you can you can you can just stop, and and you, and you can re re rebook the patients with 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 another approach or, or another plan or or after discussion with with with, with more serious uh, serious people or more uh, expert people what's your uh, do you have an anticoagulation regimen after placing a stent yeah so um, follow up is very important which is the you remember we said the three points the fourth point was to know the outcome and complication which we talked about then the last one is follow up we need to follow up our these patients these patients so we have a clinic so we follow up our patients with also other surfaces and uh, the anticoagulation uh, usually uh, first uh, put the patient in heparin uh, and uh, and antiplatelet so i prefer to put the patient in an exparin and also uh, an antiplatelet then after a couple of especially uh, heparin for at least two to three weeks then after that we shift him to to apexaban for a couple of months okay and then do they do they stop at some point or yeah, usually they stop at six months if if if, if the patients have uh, a good inflow and the follow up. Uh, uh, there is no recurrence of symptoms. Six months is is, is I think it's a 
most of the cases will stop. On some of them, these cases, usually patients are already in anticoagulation because of physical morbidity. Right. So most, some of the cases, they will shift back to uh, dependent nephrologists and consult of other colleagues like hematologists. They will go either continue with apixaban to a certain point or to shift in other anticoagulation like warfarin or something else. From my point of view, uh, after stenting, I prefer to have it at least for six months. Yeah, and are you doing any follow-up imaging to determine patency? Honestly, not every patient. It depends what happened during the procedure and what's the, the things that I saw. But uh, most of the patients, we, we follow them clinically. Uh, if there is a patient, if the patient have a fistula, then we'll do a, uh, like three months or six months, we'll do a fistula ground okay. just to make sure that's intervened is still open. Yeah, it'd be nice to be able to balloon it open rather than wait for it to occlude again. Close it completely and then get try again, yes. Yeah, but I imagine you're going to get, I mean, that's that's the case with a nephrologist really keep an eye on them at dialysis, making sure the the flow rates are good, keep an eye, a close eye on those. So any, uh, so let's see. And oh, okay, one thing I wanted to talk about before we get into kind of final thoughts Long-term patency and restenosis, are there any published rates for this or is it just there's such little data around it that we don't we don't have good data around it and it's maybe case by case, but what's your experience? I didn't see anything regarding uh, complete uh, obstruction or occlusion of the SVC regarding patency and uh, long-term studies. What I saw is uh, multiple retrospective studies comparing stents like cover versus uncover stents. But honestly, I, I didn't like came across uh, a, a, long, like a long study regarding the follow-ups. Regarding our patients, we don't have, mo- not all of them will have a long follow-up because, you know, dialysis patients sometimes, sometimes they, they shift, they, like, like they shift to the other hospitals or go to other uh, countries or other cities. So it's very difficult to to have uh, all the follow-ups. But in our patients, we usually have dependent difference from patient to patient. But I don't, I don't, I don't see any evidence regarding the potency of, of stenting yeah. a long segment or opening a long segment of CC. Yeah, um, Jeff Chick sent over a, a list of articles that mostly describing technique for SVC occlusion and re- sharp recanalization. So we will post those in the show notes for people. Abdulaziz, any final thoughts? Any any good things for like beginners who are just starting to do these that uh, you th- you'd like to leave with the audience before we finish up? Yeah. So I think it's very important uh, points or take home messages to have a CT scan before and try to study the CT scan very, very uh, carefully and to know your materials and your support group. So if you want to start these cases, it's doable, but you need to know that you have a support system in your centers and you need to know what's your uh, available tools and time yourself is very important also to time yourself and to know possible outcome and, 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 and complications and how to deal with it. Most of these cases, it's not that common especially in, in, a, in a very dedicated centers that treat their own patients. But more of the tertiary centers, you, you, you will like face it in the near future. So it's very nice to, to, to start with a small, sorry, short occlusions. If you want to do sharp, just start with occlusion to feel the needle in your hand, to feel the, the case, we, we, we feel the, 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 the action when you do it, and, and then you can build up on it. I think it's basically most of uh, IR communities are very capable to do these cases. Great. 
Abdulaziz, thank you so much for uh, sharing your expertise and experience on these cases. And to the audience, again, check out those show notes for added resources. And also check out the Twitter posts that Abdulaziz will have a will have links to those in the show notes as well. Hey man, hope to see you in Dubai at the pairs meeting in February and actually get to hang out in person. Thank you so much for having me again. It's a little pleasure. And uh, I really thank you guys. What you're doing is amazing. And hopefully see you in Dubai and show you the Dubai. But I want you also to come to Saudi Arabia. Yes. Uh, especially with the real season now and with what happened in, in the World Cup. Oh my gosh, just man. Just one man. We just won, man, the first time against Argentina. So uh, it's you You will have fun for sure if you visit Saudi Arabia. But hopefully I can see you in Dubai and just uh, meet you in person. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team lead is Karen Gannon, with support from Josh McWhorter and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Anne Dang. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.